The Okie Geek Podcast is brought to you by Okie Comics, a bi-monthly anthology publication showcasing the talents of Oklahoma creators with stories featuring Oklahoma. Copies are available at Half Price Books, Edmund Unplugged, Loot and XP, Boarding House, Paseo Plunge, Museum of Osteology, Commonplace Books, as well as your favorite comic book store and nearest library. You can find out more locations and more information at okiecomics.com. Greetings and salutations, my fellow geeks, and welcome to episode 197 of the Okie Geek Podcast, brought to you by Okie Comics. I'm Michael Cross. A celebration of medieval dining, drinks, and dances is coming soon. We'll have more in just a bit, but first, your Week in Geek. In less than a month, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker hit $1 billion at the box office. This marks Disney's seventh billion-dollar movie of 2019, including Avengers Endgame, The Lion King, Frozen 2, Captain Marvel, Toy Story, and Aladdin. It's not all good news, as analysts expect the rise of Skywalker to top out at about $1.2 billion, compared to The Last Jedi, which hit more than $1.3 billion. The rise of Skywalker's slower pace is tied to its poor performance with Chinese audiences who loved Endgame and fewer repeat viewings from jaded fans. For those waiting for the new Baby Yoda merch, Build-A-Bear is coming to your rescue. Sometime in the next few months, Build-A-Bear will offer the product in its lineup. The company's CEO says employees have been working on the stuffed toy since the first episode of The Mandalorian aired on Disney+. She also showed off a prototype of the Baby Yoda doll, which looks to be the size of the average Build-A-Bear stuffed animal. The return of Star Wars to Marvel Comics was the best-selling comic book of the 20-teens. When Disney bought the franchise, it was pretty obvious Marvel would likely take the stories away from Dark Horse, which had been releasing comics in the galaxy far, far away since 1991. Star Wars number one hit stores in 2015 and marked the return of Marvel to the franchise for the first time since 1986. Another Star Wars-based comic, Star Wars Vader Down, came in at number 10 on the best-selling comic book list of the last decade. The next Dungeons & Dragons source book hit number one on Amazon. The Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, based off the popular RPG podcast Critical Role, doesn't come out till March 17th, but makes the best-seller list based off pre-orders. The listing isn't surprising as the book promises to draw fans of Critical Role as well as those new to the world of Exandria created by Matt Mercer. It will include not only lore and descriptions of the continent of Wildmount, but also new creatures, character options, spells, and magical items. It looks like a Quentin Tarantino-directed Star Trek movie is not meant to be. Tarantino told Deadline he probably won't direct the next film in the works, but he would be eager to contribute in a more behind-the-scenes capacity. He had said last month he was steering away from directing a new Star Trek, although he does plan to make at least one more movie. Tarantino says it might not be on the scale of his newest hit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which recently received 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Director. Some of the most iconic moments of Tom Baker's Doctor Who are coming to Blu-ray. BBC Studios is releasing season 14 of the time-traveling Gallifreyan, which was the third year for the fourth Doctor. You know, the one with the ever-growing scarf and the curly hair. 
The six story arcs include the final episodes with Sarah Jane Smith, the first shows with new companion Leela, and a battle between the Doctor and the Master on Gallifrey. The season 14 Blu-ray discs are coming out on April 20th and already available for pre-order. This has been your Week in Geek. This Saturday, January 25th, the Medieval Fair of Norman is holding its annual Medieval Fair Ball at the University of Oklahoma campus in the Molly Sheboran Ballroom. Joining us to talk about it is Cody Clark, the director of casting and one of the performers. Cody, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to have you here. Tell us uh, just first off about this Medieval Fair Ball. What's going to be going on? Well, we are going to uh, gather together in the Molly Sheboran Dining Room at OU, as you mentioned, and we're going to start at uh, 7 o'clock, and we are going to have a live band, the Unpronounceable Irish Band. Okay. Honest to goodness, that is their name. We actually looked up uh, the word for unpronounceable in Irish, and it's pretty much unpronounceable. <laughs> <laughs> and they are going to be playing for us, and Jay Lang, who has been uh, in the medieval fair business mm -hmm. for, oh my goodness, at least uh, about 30 years, is going to be uh, leading the actual dances along with uh, Megan Bray, who is uh, the, the dance director for the medieval fair court. And people can come out and they can learn dances Everywhere from simple dances that anybody can learn in one minute to uh, those more adventuresome types can learn dances that I still haven't learned yet, <laughs> but uh, a regular person could probably learn uh, in a couple of minutes. How long have you been with the Medieval Fair? Well, I have been, I have attended the Medieval Fair since the very first one on the South Oval of Norman in 1977. Wow. I have been performing at the Medieval Fair off and on since, well, the South Oval in 1978 <laughs> yeah. because I was Im immediately smitten by it. Yeah. Uh, I graduated college, went away, taught school for a few years, and ever since I came back in the uh, early to mid-80s, I have been uh, performing at the Medieval Fair pretty much ever since. What is it that attracts you to the Medieval Fair? Well, of course, the biggest thing about the Medieval Fair is just the simple fact that every other Renaissance or Medieval Fair you go to anywhere in the country, there's going to be a gate, you're going to pay way too much money, and then you have to go in and pay too much money for food and, and too much money for everything. The Medieval Fair in Norman is one of the few truly free mm -hmm. big fairs. In fact, um, we have been named as one of the 50 best public fairs of any kind, not mm -hmm. just medieval, right. in the country because we will get, uh, well, on a, a good weather weekend with uh, our three-day festival, we'll get uh, more than 300,000 people through. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the great thing about it is that many people can come, and for one day, they can just go out, forget all of the problems they have in the world, and we dress up 
and we pay attention completely to them. Our whole reason for being there is to make them laugh, to make them smile, and to make them feel good. And of course, a wonderful thing about Medieval Fair is you will find things there. You'll find foods there. You'll find crafts there, um, acts, yeah. uh, music acts, uh, jugglers, dancers that you're just not going to see anywhere else for the rest of the year. You can come there and have a truly unique experience. It doesn't have to cost you a thing if you don't want to. And, you know, you can just immerse yourself in all of the fun. Yeah, and it's been such a mainstay in Oklahoma for more than 40 years that this, you can't even think about uh, talking about medieval stuff or anything without mentioning the medieval fair of Norman. That's just so much a part of central Oklahoma. Yes, we've, uh, as I said before, we've been doing this since uh, 1977 (laughs) when uh, it was just uh, a few people, the English department decided (laughs) to... uh, put it on and they actually had it on Shakespeare's birthday because April 23rd fell on a Saturday in 77. And so they specifically had it then after that, they had to pull it back a little bit because Mm -hmm. that late in April was a little bit too close to finals. (laughs) Uh, And that's why we now have it uh, the first weekend in April rather than closer to Shakespeare's birthday. But we've literally been going since 77 when just a few hundred people came out on a, on a Saturday at, uh, at the South Oval. Then, of course, we moved to the Duck Pond, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of people look back on with nostalgia yeah. these days. And uh, it really exploded in popularity, really, after we moved to, after we moved to uh, Reeves Park mm-hmm. because— when we moved from the duck pond, we'd gotten to the point where we were getting something like 180,000 people in. And I don't know how much time you spent at the duck pond. It gets you, filled really fast. You can't, yeah. you just can't uh, you needed uh, have space. more than that. Yeah. So we needed, and some people say that Reeves doesn't have the ambiance mm-hmm. of, uh, of the duck pond, but from putting on a fair, there's a lot more usable land than yeah, there was yeah, at the exactly. Duck Pond. There's a lot more parking, a lot closer, because mm-hmm. uh, um, Lord Noble is just right there. And, uh, okay, it doesn't have the ambiance. It doesn't have the Duck Pond. But on the other hand, you don't have to crowd through two different bridges just to get from one side to the other. Yeah, that was, that, and that got really bad after a while. You couldn't, you couldn't get across. I mean, how long have you, you've only been at Reese Park? Is it 10 years now? How we, um, actually, it's quite a bit more than that. It, it seems odd, but our first year at Reeves Park was 2003. Oh, my gosh. We've, we've actually... We, that's we, right, because I've... Yeah, that's... Yes, okay. We uh, are actually I, getting people mm-hmm. to Medieval Fair now that don't remember oh, wow. it not being at Reeves Park. We, we've actually uh, been the there duck, that long now. Yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing that you've, that you've been there that long. I... Because it just seems like just, oh, well, of course, I mean, that's the problem is I've been going so often that you just remember the Duck Pond and you have yes. also been to Reeves Park, but you just don't realize that you've been there that long. So almost 17 years that mm-hmm. you've been at the, 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 the new spot, we'll call it. <laughs> this year, I guess, will be our 18th yeah. fair at uh, Reeves <laughs> Park. So it's not really new anymore. No. <laughs> 
uh, th- it's it's only still new to us old fogies who yeah. remember it back when it was at the duck pond. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the, what I loved about, uh, and you go to the Duck Pond on a weekend that wasn't the Medieval Fair, it's just a park. You mm-hmm. go to Reeves Park at a time when there's not the Medieval Fair, it's just a park. What makes the ambiance, I think, has always been the tents, the people, the, the vendors. That's what makes it special. That's a, another thing that really, I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing. I, I guess everything has its own uh pluses and minuses Mm -hmm. but most of the other big uh ren fairs or medieval fairs you will find have their own Mm -hmm. regular spot that's just for them they have permanent structures set up and there's a lot you can do with that that you can't do when you have to literally build the fair the week before and tear the whole thing down the week after but i don't know there's just something something a little bit magical about driving by the park the week before Mm -hmm. fair and just watching more tents today than yesterday and more tomorrow Mm -hmm. and start to see the things moving in okay the uh kettle corn is going to be here again i see them setting (laughs) up over there uh there there is there's a lot we could do if we had a permanent site but i don't know there's just kind of a little bit of magic involved in watching the whole thing just spring up overnight and get uh, torn down overnight. Yeah, it becomes its own little brigadoon that all of a sudden, once a year, there's this yes. village that just appears. Yes. In fact, a lot of us have uh, compared it to brigadoon <laughs> more than once. And so you've got the the medieval... So this this ball that we've got coming up this weekend... This is, is this a, a precursor to kind of raise a little bit of funds for the, the, the actual fair? So basically the way this came about, and <laughs> I wasn't involved in these specifics, so you're getting it secondhand here. But basically um, the medieval fair is a product of uh, University of Oklahoma Outreach Department. And they kind of wanted, uh, medieval fair is such a big thing that they wanted something, something more than just the one time a year, one shot, three day. And so quite some time ago, uh, we came up with the lecture series. And for a few months leading up to medieval fair on Friday nights, we will hold a lecture series, uh, usually at one of the uh, libraries in Norman where people can come and hear about uh, illumination in medieval manuscripts or or the life of the monks in the Middle Ages or, or something like that from people who are experts in the field. And we had that, but they wanted, they wanted something else, another production. And so uh, they wanted something that would be fun, that would be educational, that would be informative, that would maybe make a little bit of money for the fair. And well, we gave yeah. them three out of four. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long have you guys been doing this ball? It's been a, been a few it, years. It's, it's been a few. The, the first medieval uh, midwinter's ball, right. is what we call it, uh, was in January of 2014. Mm-hmm. And over the years, we've mostly had it in the Molly Sheboran ballroom. But one year, the... Uh, the uh, Sam Noble Museum of Natural History at OU. Oh, wow. Uh, had an exhibit on uh, Shakespeare's folios. Mm-hmm. 
And so we got together and we decided we're going to do the mid midwinter's ball at the museum. And you know, the, the, the big hall that down on yeah. one end is, is uh, the big mammoth. And mm-hmm. then they have the big open space. We, had it there. Oh, we literally wow. had people dancing and, well, eating on tables set right around the mammoth. Oh, wow. <laughs> and That's then dancing, dancing in the big hall in the middle. And then uh, uh, a few years ago when uh, they were doing all the work on West Lindsay Street mm-hmm. and it was kind of hurting a lot of businesses yeah. on Lindsay and we were really wanting to do something to help them out, we actually had our midwinter's ball out at uh, Sooner Inn and Suites mm-hmm. out there to kind of draw some attention and maybe uh, get some people interested again, realizing that you still can get places yeah. in on West Lindsay, even though they're doing the construction. So we had it there one year as well. But uh, yes, usually it's Malishi Boren. Um, we're going to be doing it again, obviously, this Saturday. Um, tickets, if you get them in advance, mm-hmm. are $25. If you pay at the door, it'll be $30. But, uh, I mean, for the kind of entertainment and hands-on entertainment right. that you get at this kind of place, compare it to prices to anything else that you just go right. and sit in a chair and watch just a show that you sit and spend for two hours and, just and did nothing else yeah yes and this is something that it, it's hands-on mm-hmm. you can get involved in if you ever wanted to do something like this but you were kind of afraid to do it or if you've been to the medieval fair and you've seen the dancers and maybe you uh at some point or other had one of the dancers go to the audience and grab you by the hand and bring you up and teach you a dance and you thought that is so much fun this is this is for you this is uh this is really why we do this i mean i don't i don't have much of a head for the business side myself <laughs> i am I'm, I'm all an entertainment yeah. person so uh, to me that is what the whole thing is about it's for people to come out on a saturday evening uh spend far less money than you would spend if uh, if you went out to most high-end restaurants oh yeah, oh, yeah. even in this area and uh, get a little bit of get a little bit of food and a whole lot of fun mm-hmm. what is it do you think that why people are so attracted to the medieval medieval I want to say actually medieval, medieval also all the way up to the Renaissance era why is that why do you think people are fascinated by that I think the biggest reason that people today are fascinated with that era is because to our modern minds where everything is so complex everything is complicated there's it feels like we're busy 28 hours a day we view the Middle Ages and the Renaissance as a simpler time Mm -hmm. when there wasn't a lot of machinations under machinations under machinations and everything was straightforward, everything was out front. And we we just long for a simpler, more straightforward time. Now, if you really start 
studying history. You're going to learn that. No, mankind really <laughs> hasn't right, changed. You know. But uh, everything looks better in the rearview mirror. It really, it really does. And I think it's also, there's, there's something magical about the fact that uh, some of it we don't even know. Uh, there was a lot of things that we still don't know because history wasn't recorded like it is today. History is recorded every second on 24-hour news. But back then, unless you were really famous, if you were a king or a knight, or then maybe you were written about in history books, but for the most part, your common people just, they just lived their ordinary lives. And that's the entire reason that the feudal system worked. Right. But yes. I, I, yes, it, 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 I, I, sorry, I, I could, I could go in a, a, a two hour lecture on the, <laughs> the feudal system, which we don't have. But it, yes, uh, people talk about how sensationalism has taken over even our newspapers today. Um, let me let you in on something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sensationalism has been behind our news yes. for, uh, oh, a few thousand years. Yeah, just go back a hundred years, you can find what we called yellow journalism. I mean, it's very easy to find that kind of, kind of well, thing. And back then, Certainly, whoever was doing the news was doing it for the king. Yes. <laughs> Go back to the Middle Ages. The, the, the people that are writing have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Do you know why Shakespeare's Richard III was, yeah. was the nastiest bad guy in the world? Because he was writing for Elizabeth. That's, that's it. Therefore, we can't. it's hard to count that as actual yeah. history. But, I mean, that's just the way it is. People who, people who write even if they're writing history, mm. um, they want to be accurate, but they've got to make money. Yeah. They've got to have patrons. They've got to have people that are willing to, to buy what they're selling, as it were. And uh, so anything, anything you see today and say, they never had this problem back in the oh, old days. <laughs> okay, they may not have had problems with, people walking around staring into their cell phones right. and walking out in traffic, but they had problems with people being so worried all the time about the only problem they could see mm -hmm. that they didn't see anything around them. Human nature hasn't changed. Right. Human nature isn't going to change. Um, and uh, that's one of the first things you, you start learning when you start uh, learning history, becoming an historian. It doesn't matter what time mm -hmm. of history you're in but i love studying the middle ages simply because it to us it is bigger than life and the the rock stars back then were the kings and queens and i like looking at how different historians write differently about um, different kings, queens, knights, etc. Because it, it's it's so incredibly interesting. I'm a big fan of, of all things Celtic because I have a lot of Irish yes. blood in me. And yeah. I just love, you, you can hear what the Romans who were invading mm -hmm. wrote about the Celts. Yeah. Like, there is nothing good about them. They're, oh, yeah. they're filthy, yeah, unwashed, Yeah, we nasty. were horrible. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> but, you know, you uh, read the histories of people who were a little bit closer, mm -hmm. and they're quite different. And I just love looking at different angles at everything and 
looking at different sources and trying to piece together what actually uh, try to piece together what I think is uh, closest thing to the truth. Right, and I mean we're also talking about. Uh, a time period, if you call it the Dark Ages, quote unquote, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, from 500 AD to 1500 AD, including the Renaissance, that's a, th- a thousand years. And it's people, okay, it wasn't just one set of clothing, one style the entire time. There was a lot of things that happened in that thousand years. There were, there were so many things. And ju- just like we have our, you know, we talk about history being changed by world wars mm-hmm. or history being changed by the great depression and we we view our modern history in periods of about 30 years maybe yeah. at most but still we try to lump a thousand <laughs> years and and the a lot of europe was uh a not terribly good place to live in mm-hmm. at certain times but from about the turn of the second millennia, around the, 1000 AD to about 1300 AD, the weather was great, mm-hmm. the climate was good, the population boomed, and everything was wonderful, and then came the drought, the famine, and the plague sure, yeah. all together. Mostly and, because people got into the cities. <laughs> but, but, yes, but, but again, you know, it's it, it all goes in cycles. Mm-hmm. You, you can't look at anything as... A thousand years it was all the same you can't look yeah, at no. anything for a hundred years it was all right, the same right i mean you've got the, the crusades the norman invasion you've got uh the 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 uh the well of course the, the departure of the roman empire uh from from most of europe i mean it just it just set along these these different things that happened and it's just amazing that's what i love about the renaissance festival i uh, when i go to most that's uh, what i love about the medieval fair when i go to most renaissance festivals there's a kind of a, an uppity, you gotta be in a certain time period type of thing. The thing I love about the medieval fair is it's just come, I've seen from 500 AD all the way up to 1500 AD and everyone's accepted. It's just a matter of loving this time period regardless of being specifically devoted to a specific time. Now, officially for the medieval fair of Norman, and we don't press this because there are a lot of people that represent different periods, there actually is an official year, year. that uh, the medieval fair is set in. The uh, Reeves Park for those three days becomes the village of Avalon, which we have a location for it on mm-hmm. the map. It's over around where Glastonbury is mm-hmm. in the real world. It is set in 1360. I knew it was 1300, somewhere around there, yeah. But yeah we, well, we, we wanted the 14th century, and because uh, one of our the larger groups that is involved in medieval fair is the Arthurian Order of Avalon. They're right. the ones that do the, the uh, living chessboard, and they help out with the joust a lot. And uh, they try to set their costuming around 1300, mm-hmm. 14th century at any rate. So we tried to look for a time during the 14th century when we could set it. And we're, okay, early 14th century is Edward I. We have too many Scottish people. They're not going to accept mm-hmm. that. 1315 is when it rained for over a year almost oh every day gosh. and famine. and <laughs> Don't uh, put that curse on the video. And fan. then 47, the plague mm-hmm. came for the... and and. 
then the plague came back in 1361, and then there was all of this uh, uh, competition over the throne and all this. So we literally came down to the point that almost literally the one year, <laughs> not period, one year in the 14th century that we could see having merry old England mm -hmm. was 1360. Mm -hmm. So right before the second plague. Right and before the, yes. it's been 13 years since yeah. the first plague and uh, it's just before the, the second plague hits. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, spring of 1360 is when the Treaty of Bretigny was signed. Okay. So the Hundred Years War had it, it, you know, it had like nine years of peace right mm -hmm. in the middle of it. Well, 1360 is the beginning of that nine years of peace. So, you know, we've we've really uh, glomped this out. We, we, we've worked this out, and we set it up exactly like that. But again, we, we aren't sticklers. Right. We don't want to be sticklers because we want the performers as well as the patrons to have fun. So... We have it, mm -hmm. and we even talk about it. We we have our Edward the Third. We have our Edward the Black Prince, mm -hmm. and we have all of the people. We have Geoffrey Chaucer. Yeah, because well, that's why it's, it's, it's that the third, the fourteenth century is so important because that's the time when when the writers themselves kind of started romanticizing mm -hmm. their own time period with Geoffrey Chaucer. This is this is the time when Arthurian legends would have been very at their height. Robin Hood. These are the types of the stories that are being told, whether or not they were real, but it, that's the time period that most people think about them being in. And that's another reason that we decided specifically to go with Edward III, because Edward III was a huge King Arthur fan. Mm -hmm. In fact, we all know about the Order of the Garter mm -hmm. that he formed. He originally wanted to build a great big hall. In fact, they started building it. Oh, wow. A great big hall with a huge round table that would actually hold more than 100 mm -hmm. people around it. He wanted to call his order the Knights of the Round Table. Mm. His advisors talked him down, oh. <laughs> explained to him all of the reasons that that might not be the best idea in the world. So instead, he uh, organized the Order of the Garter right. because it was round mm -hmm. and uh, represented all, all sorts of wonderful uh, uh, romantic knightly virtues. Yeah. And th that, was, that was another reason that we wanted to set it when we did, and especially specifically with Edward III because um, we have the Arthurian Order of Avalon, which I've said mm -hmm. is, yeah, a, is a big exactly. part of our fair. And we have a King Arthur and a Queen Guinevere mm -hmm. at fair mm -hmm. every year. So uh, we have King Edward III, who is a big uh, King Arthur fan. And, of course, Merlin has worked his magic and brought... Uh, oh, it's wonderful. ...brought uh, all of uh, the Arthurians up into the 14th century. Is this the same thing with the ball? It's set in 1360? The ball, or, we, do, or does it matter? I mean, the the ball doesn't so much right. ma matter if uh, we we don't actually have. While Mark Jackson, who is our King Edward, um, comes a lot, we uh, we don't actually have anybody come at 
He doesn't come as King Edward. Mm-hmm. The one of the great things, you know, I mentioned what it means to the patrons, the people that come there. The Midwinter's Ball also means a lot to those of us who are performers at Medieval Fair. Because when I'm performing at Medieval Fair, I'm tube. I'm sort of a village idiot. And so to do a dance with somebody who's in the Society for Creative Anachronism, which right. is another one of the big groups the SCA, at Fair. Um, so Toop isn't likely to have time to spend a lot of time with any of Cody's friends mm, from yes. the SCA. And the Midwinter's Ball is a time where specifically we don't want people coming as their characters in medieval fair because, you know, while Toop can't find time to dance with Ayala at the medieval fair, Cody mm-hmm. can dance with Susan right. at the midwinter ball. And it's a, we, we love putting on a show for the public. We, we adore uh, making patrons smile. And that's, what we live for and uh, we adore doing it but to have this night per year where we can just kind of get together and let our hair down and oh my goodness i thought you were a fool what are you doing wearing those noble looking clothes because i never get to wear them that's right yes because you've got the garb and you never get a chance to actually do it because i've been doing characters for 40 (laughs) years And I've still got these clothes. People are going to be dressed up. Uh, is it okay if, if uh, guests also show up in garb? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you have garb, and, you know, we have r- some rules about what the performers can and can't wear at mm-hmm. Medieval Fair. But for this, come in your lame, come in your spandex mm-hmm. if you want to. Uh, come, come in whatever costuming you like yeah. uh, whatever can make you feel more a part of it. You don't have to come in costume. You can, you can come in your blue jeans and t-shirt and, and uh, you'll have just as much yeah. fun as those who, who come in garb. But sometimes it's just a little easier to get into the whole feel of the thing. If, uh, if you wear something garb, like, Oh my goodness. We, we have uh, at the medieval fair, we have uh, people come, uh, at least two different people that we see every year that come dressed as Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, what one year we had a, an entire troop of uh, Imperial stormtroopers <laughs> who came <laughs> as a troop and offered to be guards for the king. That's fantastic! <laughs> I love the idea of Doctor Who. It kind of makes sense, actually. All of a sudden, you just have the Time Lord just coming uh, yeah, in yes. medieval, medieval Europe because he can go whenever and wherever he likes. So, exactly. so why not? But yes. Uh, Come as is most comfortable for you for uh, the Midwinter's Ball because it is not about authenticity. It is not about... uh, There is no strictures about anything. Do what is going to... uh, let you have the most fun. Which is fantastic. Okay, within the law. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Make sure we are still in Oklahoma. Um, so, I got to say that for some of my friends. <laughs> you got to be really careful. Uh, so, so tell people again, where can people find out information about the ball? All right. First of all, you could go to our Facebook site, Medieval Fair of Norman, or you can go to, to our 
Our email address is medievalfair.ou.edu. At either of those places, you can find out about the Midwinter's Ball or about mm-hmm. the Medieval Fair. Either of those places will will have links to get you to Eventbrite, which is where you can buy the tickets in advance if you want to pay the $25 rather than the $30 right. at the door. And uh, we'll be... Happy to come out and uh, see you Saturday night. Yeah, and July 25th is the ball. And then the first week of April is still... January 25th, yes. What did I say? I said July. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so hoping it's summer. I don't know why uh, I've already jumped to summer. So January 25th is the ball. And your Saturday. And the first weekend of April is still the Medieval Fair. First weekend of April, I believe it's the third, fourth, and fifth this year. Which is always such a wonderful time to just... Come and enjoy and not have to worry about, you're right, it's, it's free, you it's, just come in, and I mean, obviously, pay, get, t- take care of the patrons, take care of the, I mean, take care of the vendors, take care of the people out there, but it's free to walk in and just enjoy and, and be taken back in time, it's magical. Yes, uh, I, I, I tell our performers that we are a big petting zoo, <laughs> and those of us who are in costume, we're the animals. Yes, that's right. (laughs) So, uh, and we invite the patrons, please come out, enjoy. And when somebody in weird costume comes up and tries to play with you, have fun with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're, we are there for all of you. So come out and uh, take advantage of the fact that we want to play with you. We want to make you happy. We want to make sure you have fun. That's it, Cody. Thank you so much for showing up for the show today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> so that's going to do it for our show. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Okie Geek Podcast. That's also the address for our Gmail account. Would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at KOSU Michael C. And do you or someone you know have an event coming up? Please let us know so we can talk about it on our show. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure and subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment. Until next time, along with Cody Clark, I'm Michael Cross, reminding you to keep calm and geek on.